Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and I'm just so glad you're here. This podcast is designed to dig below the surface and to hold space for meaningful conversations. We're going to talk about life and love and basically everything in between. This is a place where done is better than perfect, where quality triumphs quantity, and where you can really just come as you are. So go ahead and leave that Superman cape of having it all together at the door because life is freaking messy. Don't I know it, y'all. Now, not only are we going to be real, we're going to have fun too. Scout's honor. I promise you this. I will find any excuse to bring up Beyonce or the latest episode of The Bachelorette. So if you're a new friend, you are so welcome. And before we get started, pause and make sure you're subscribed to the Refined Collective Podcast on iTunes so that each week when a new episode drops, it'll download straight to those devices. And if you're an old friend, um, welcome back. Hi there. I already know you're all subscribed and good to go, but would you do me a quick favor? Hop on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and written review. I would be incredibly grateful for that. Now, I used to feel like all weird and awkward about asking you to do this, but then I listened to Oprah's podcast and even she asks her listeners to do it. In the podcast world, those subscribes and ratings and reviews really, really help us. So thank you in advance. You are the best. Finally, if something stands out to you in this episode, find me on Instagram at The Refined Woman or my podcast specific account at The Refined Collective and send me a message. I would absolutely love to hear from you. All right, let's go ahead and get to it. Today on the podcast, I am having an incredible conversation with a woman named Tiffany Bloom. Tiffany is the author of She Dreams and Never Alone and their companion Bible studies. She's a speaker, writer, podcast co-host of Why Though with my dear friend, Ashley Abercrombie. She speaks at conferences and events all over the world. Her work has been featured in World Vision Magazine, Today Parents, YouVersion Bible app, the Hallmark Channel, the Jenny McCarthy Show, and a lot more. And she is a freaking powerhouse, y'all. So today we are having a conversation on consent, power dynamics, consent in the boardroom, all the way to the bedroom. And I just want to give you a little forewarning. If you are with kiddos right now, um, this might not be a conversation you want to listen to in the car with your toddlers. <laughs> um, or maybe you do. Um, but I just want to upfront warn you, we are both sharing personal stories of um, trauma we've experienced in the past. So um, just warning on that end. And my hope and prayer is through this conversation, first of all, if you have experienced any sort of abuse or trauma in the past, first of all, that you are not alone, there is hope. And I'm so, so sorry that happened to you. And I hope that this conversation not only is encouraging and empowering, but equipping. Um, Tiffany gave such practical insight and action steps. So I'm just going to stop talking, and now let's just get into this conversation. Welcome, welcome. Hey, glad to be here. I'm so happy to have you. I always try to tell people how I have met or not met the person that I'm having on the episode, and we had like a 
10 minute conversation outside the bathroom <laughs> at Ashley Abercrombie's book launch party. And we're all good. Conversations happen, right? Right. I know. Like, <laughs> right. I, I'm usually at the parties. I'm usually like in the bathroom line or by the food table. Um, those are like my safe places. <laughs> place to be. A place to be. Yeah. Um, but we were talking about, well, first of all, you and Ashley Abercrombie host an incredible podcast together. Why though? We love it. It is so fun. Just a good variety show talking about why we do the things we do. Yes. And you and I had this like brief conversation. And within that, we like dove deep and started talking about consent. And that's exactly what I want to have you on today so we can talk about consent and women and power dynamics and all of that. But before we get into that, I just want to hear, I just want to get to know you more. Tell us who you are and what you're about and why you do what you do. Why you just bought all that celery that you just told me about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. Yes. So I am a author. I've written four books, all inspirational, encouragement, for women, women's issues, everything from isolation, loneliness, romance, um, forgiveness, all that good stuff. And I'm working on a title right now all about consent and institutional harm that happens in the workplace and sexual harassment and abuse and talking about this very nuanced and messy issue that is illegal but not criminal, that is pervasive but at the same time so hard to... um, explain and so hard for women to grapple with when it's happening to them. And I think even as we discuss the nature of consent, we find ourselves uh, able to recall stories and listeners, you may find yourself recalling a story in your life where you did not give somebody consent and they harmed you with their words or their hands or their actions in a way that was scarring and that did make an impact on you. And it really has altered how you see yourself and how you see other people. So that is where I'm at right now. I'm a mom. I live in the Seattle area. My husband's a realtor. I've got a nine-year-old and a five-year-old. I'm East Indian, an immigrant, and my son, my oldest one, is adopted from Uganda. And we're just living our best life up here in the Northwest Coast. And um, yeah, again, podcast and writing, and then I travel quite a bit to speak at women's events. Love that. You have your hand in a lot of things. And I feel like, you know, you're talking about your books. You're like, you know, love, relationships, growth, and then power dynamics and consent. Like, <laughs> um, like and I think that's what struck me about our conversation outside of the bathroom. I was like, oh, you've written these books. And then it's like, whoa, okay. When I hear you explaining that, I'm like, there's a story there. And what I'm curious about is like, why this story and like, why does this matter to you? Like thousands of hundreds of millions of other women, the story of Me Too and more specifically Time's Up is my story. Um, I was a pastor for a fair amount of years at a large church here in the Northwest. And throughout my time, I found myself in compromising situations with um, my senior leader and ones where I was uncomfortable, but to stay in his good graces, it was better for me to stay silent. I knew that if I spoke up, I would be the, (laughs) I would be, um, the target of his slander. And in my best attempt to escape that, I really became an enabler. 
because I didn't give my consent, which we can define consent right up front before we continue um, kind of talking about this issue, just consent is agreement. Consent is agreement for something to happen that both parties have agreed that what's moving forward, that what's going to happen is collectively okay. That they both agree that anything that's going to happen, whether there is harm or not, is agreed upon by both parties. And it's, it's vocalized. It's communicated in some way, shape, or form. I remember one time, Kat, um, I was at a review for just my annual review. And I was fishing in my bag after breakfast to pull out all of the goals that I had worked on and everything that I hadn't accomplished, ready to have a solid hour conversation about where I was in the organization and moving forward and what I was dreaming about. And he said, we don't need to talk all about that. And he said, you know, honestly, nobody would listen to you if you weren't so beautiful. And just that little comment from my senior leader, I did not give him permission to comment on my appearance, on the way I carried myself. He made the comment I had no choice. And I remember another time, uh, he said to me one time, I remember I was feeling myself wearing some new hoops and a real cute dress. I got on the sale rack at Target. And he looked at me and somebody had made a joke to him of he was past his childbearing years. And he looked at me and said, oh, girl, I could put a baby in you. And I remember thinking again, like I did not give you permission to speak to me like that. I did not give you permission to, to, to say it, oh my goodness, in front of my coworkers. But I found myself in a situation where to speak up would have been to forfeit my place, forfeit potential opportunity, even a pay raise. Um, the, the best option I felt at that time was to laugh, was to be in on the joke so I wasn't the butt of the joke. Mm-hmm. And I think when we talk about this issue of consent, sometimes we've limited it, wouldn't you agree, to just um, romantic relationships but consent is anything that happens to us, right? And and we we want to be an active participant in mm-hmm. the harm or or good that somebody is directing at us. And when we aren't, we find ourselves on the losing end and we wonder, is this okay? What do I do to prevent it from happening? And what's my role as a bystander, as a friend to anyone else that's happening to? So that's where I found myself. And that's why I became so passionate about studying and learning about this issue and how it is so pervasive in our culture and every culture around the world. And as much as we have had cultural and political strides over the last hundred years in America, uh, even it's a hundred years this month since we've had the right to vote as women. And there is no legislation to, to my knowledge on this day that would protect women in the very issue that we're talking about today. Wow. I mean, your story, I think the thing that strikes me about your story, well, first of all, I'm so sorry that happened to you. It just sounds just so degrading. So I'm really sorry. When I'm hearing you share your story, I, I'm i thinking of conversations that I've had with guy friends of mine who are smart, intelligent men who, you know, have good jobs. I mean, they're not just, you know, walking around with their heads up their asses, but having to really explain to them what it's like being a woman, the experience of being a woman. And I think the thing that my guy friends 
especially like the white men in my life, the white men of America are the most privileged humans in America is that you never have to leave home in the morning and wonder what is, is what I'm wearing today going to make me more of a man (laughs) or how can I downplay Mm. my manliness or my manness in my outfit today? Like, like as women, I feel like we're constantly strategizing to like, I think, especially in the workplace. And I don't deal with this a ton because I work from home and I run my own business. But I remember one of my girlfriends worked for Nestle years ago and she was like this beautiful girl. And she like, wouldn't wear earrings to work wouldn't even wear lip gloss and would like wear these cardigans. And I would make fun of her. I was like, girl, where are you going to put on your high heels and embrace your femininity? And she's like, literally, if I even have a ruffle on my shirt, I get a comment. And, um, years ago I listened to, I do not know. I'm so, I need to know how to say her name. Chimimanda Adichie. Um, she talks about when she was, uh, first becoming a professor, how that first day of school, she wanted to wear this like floral print dress and high heels and lipstick, but realized, oh, I, I want to make the people forget that I'm a woman. So they'll take me seriously. So she didn't wear that. Um, and I just think that is something that isn't talked about as much that is so worth being acknowledged is the experience that I think all women or most women have of those moments of like, if you were giving a man a review, would you say that to him? Like, Oh my goodness. You know, if we were at a networking event and we're all men, would you have immediately commented or asked me where my boyfriend was? Or immediately started talking right. about life as though I came up to hit on you as opposed to just ask you about your business. Do you have any thoughts on any of that? Yeah, I think that so much of what you're describing is the power dynamics. And I think first of, I love the example you used of the professor and thinking, I want you to be able to see me for me, not as somebody who exists for your pleasure or your entertainment, that I am not a belonging. I am not just an animated creature that exists to make your life easier or better or be a notch on your belt. Uh, somebody to dominate. It's, and I think this, this conversation, this isn't about equality per se. This conversation is more about power and domination. And so realizing when that power and domination, power more specifically, is taken from women and stored up and just bankrolled for men specifically, I think that we can see that anytime that there's a power in uh, difference, right? So let's take age whenever, you know, if somebody's 10, 20, 30 years older, you can take race as a power dynamic. If there's an ethnic difference there, you can take socioeconomic differences, somebody who has more power. And then of course, leadership. Anytime someone has more clout, in the workplace, or you know, you think of Larry Nasser, there's clout that wasn't the workplace per se, but that institutional harm that he caused with many people enabling him and protecting him for over 30 years. You realize that just even with little girls and being a coach, and anytime that there's that difference, right? When there's truly not equals, um, you could even argue that um, elementary school students, when there's a young girl and a young boy, the power difference there, whether it's strength or whether it's height, um, 
or whether it's ability to communicate, anytime that there's that difference, I think that that is something to be aware of um, and something to, just like that professor did. She knew the power difference there, especially especially um, just in gender, right? So being able to see where are the power differences, because I think sometimes we just wonder, how does this happen? Why do I even have to think like this in the first place? And it's because since the beginning of time and in so many uh historic examples and in modern history, we see men using any dynamic of power that they have Mm -hmm. to dominate a woman and seal their consent. Well, then we also have like the church and purity culture that adds like another layer on there. I think one of the messages I received growing up in that movement was as a woman, it's the male purity or like male lust was on my shoulders. Mm -hmm. And so the message I received was that just by breathing and existing as a woman, there was something like dangerous about my body, something scary, something pervasive. And so like, I better hide this. And if, if I think also what's implicit in that as well is then if a guy makes an unwanted advance on me, then was it my fault? Because was I inviting it because of what I was wearing or, um, or something like that. Like, I think there's, there's all of these like layers of these messages that we've been taught, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. some implicit, some explicit. Um, but I just, I feel like there, there are things like that. I don't want to blame the whole thing, like on the church or purity culture or any of that, but I also don't want to deny that there are those dynamics there too within the church. Absolutely. We, the onus is on women not to be flirtatious or not to appear mm-hmm. lustful, right? And we've also translated that as the onus is on, on us to not be harassed, to not be harmed. So not only should we be aware that of what we wear and of how we come across, but we're also responsible for not being harassed. That's somehow now our job wow. as well. And rather than saying to men, It's your job to treat women with dignity and respect and kindness and worth. Rather than that being the main message and going back to this root issue, we've really created a lot of hubbub about, oh, women, how can you avoid harassment? Because it's somehow your fault. It's your job to prevent it from happening. Which if you are a living, breathing woman, like you said, it's bound to happen. I think um, even your example of working from home or whether you do work in an office, um, like your friend at Nestle, to your point, there's literally no way to escape it. Is there any caveat? So for example, I was listening to, or I was watching on Netflix, Elijah Schlesinger. She's a stand-up comedian. Have you heard of her? Huh? Yep. You have? Yeah. Oh, cool. Have you seen her elder millennial? Oh my gosh. Okay. Yes. Yes. I have. It's so funny. So good. Okay. So on uh, there, she's talking about, um, having a guy that you're dating come over for the first time. Mm-hmm. And she's like, like, what are you supposed to wear? Like, that's the stressful part for the girl is first. You're like, I want my apartment to look nice, but like, I don't want to wear my day clothes, but you also like, don't want to wear like nipple tassels. Like right. you need to like wear something <laughs> in between. And she's like, you know, she's super feminist, but she's like, you know, it's, if you want her nipple 
tassels or nipple tassels, but you know, be essentially be kind to the person in front of you. She's like, if you wear nipple tassels, then the guy's going to see you and immediately all the blood's going to go from his head down to his, uh, you know, downstairs and he's not gonna be able to think about anything. And she was like, it would be like if uh, your boyfriend came to you and was like, you had a really hard day. Like, tell me about your day. Like, I just want to hear about your heart. And then was like, psych, never mind." Um, and so I, I feel like that was like a really funny kind of way of putting it. But a question that I've had is, yeah, it's not my fault. You know, you, we never, I never deserve an unwanted advance. Right. However, is there nuance there? Like, am I walking down the street naked and then like, well, why are you staring at me like that? Like, is there any space for that to be a part of the conversation? Or do you think it's like, I can wear whatever I want whenever I want and like nothing unwarranted is deserved? Yes. Okay. This is a very uh, individual question. I don't think across the board as a woman, it's my job to proselytize of how somebody should dress or carry themselves. But I think for me personally, (laughs) um, and again, only speaking from my personal experience on this, I think it's my job to treat others how I want to be treated, right? So if I want to be treated as somebody who takes care of herself and is smart and brilliant and bright, I will probably dress the part for that. I will probably match how I feel on the inside, on the outside. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it makes me think of that viral post about leggings that went around a few years ago of this young wife and mom talking about why she swore off leggings and how she would never want men to stumble by seeing her in a pair of leggings. And I remember thinking, good God, woman, like really, you felt like you had to do this and shame every one of us who wears leggings as pants on the daily because they're freaking comfortable, man. And we're just trying to live our lives. Um, Yes. But no, I do think there is a way that we carry ourselves. And I think you can wear a paper bag and be ridiculously flirtatious. I think you can dress um, provocative and keep it together. So I think mm-hmm. that it really is to each his own. I, j- I feel like it is not for me personally to comment on um, how somebody dresses. I think it's how you carry yourself. Mm-hmm. I really think it's how you carry yourself yeah. um, and how you treat others. If you are approaching a man and you are looking for a ride and you're looking rather flirtatious and you're, and you're temptuous, if you will. I think that that speaks more than what you're wearing. I really do. Everything is really just about the heart. Like what's my why? Mm -hmm. What's the heart behind it? And I think with the clothing conversation in particular, I think, I don't know your thoughts about this, but so much of it for me has to do with context. Yes. Yes. There was a commercial that came out years ago and it was like, at what point does the Speedo become inappropriate. And it's like just this like European like man on the beach wearing his Speedo. And like the further he walks away from the beach, like the more and more people are like, oh, what are you wearing? Okay. Now that's weird. Like, oh, now he's like a predator. But it's like all about the context of, you know, I've gotten so much slack or flack from like wearing bikinis. I'm like, I'm at the beach. Like... I'm not like wait. You personally up. have? Oh my gosh, so much! Like on what? like Instagram, my blog, like oh, oh you call goodness. yourself a Christian? Like I can't believe you would wear this. And um, 
I I think so much for me has to do with context. Like, yes, am I going to wear the bikini to church on Sunday? No. <laughs> am I going to wear not. the like skin tight? Oh, you're leading shorts? communion? Probably yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Also, like when I'm speaking on stage, I'm wearing something very different than when I'm like going out dancing. Not because I'm right. trying to be two different people, but when I'm speaking on stage, first of all, I want to be comfortable and like nothing yeah. worse than like a bra strap falling off your shoulder during while, right. you're, while you're speaking. Um, or right. I don't want to be like, oh, like, is my shirt see-through? Or can you tell if I'm cold or nervous right now? <laughs> like, yeah. through my bra. Yeah. Um, are my pants too tight? Am I afraid if I bend over, they'll rip? Like, um, are my heels so tall that all I can think about that my feet are hurting while I'm speaking? Whereas like when I'm going out, I'm in a different context and I'm going to be wearing something different. Um, so I, I think for me, it's a lot of that goes back to like heart and context. Yeah. And I also think as you're having those conversations with yourself, it's like, where, where is this coming from? Is this fear that I'll be misunderstood? Is this fear that I won't be seen as a put together person? Is this fear that somebody will see me as like a hussy? You know what I mean? We have to ask ourselves, like, what are we fearing? What are we trying to put out in the world? As somebody who speaks a lot on stages, I'm always thinking of the length of my skirts. I'm five one, so even a mini skirt goes down to my ankles. But still, <laughs> like I'm always aware of 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 what you're saying. Of like, no, I want to feel comfortable, and this is okay to wear, and this is trendy, and it's not like, you know, I I always I love that meme that went around for so long. Is I'm somewhere between Hillary Clinton and Ariana Grande, you know, <laughs> like just finding the place where I fit that I'm, you know, feeling good. I'm feeling myself, but I'm also not. Um, I'm not a distraction. Not that I think that I'm going to cause somebody to stumble, but it just wouldn't be appropriate, you know. Again, going back to context. This episode of the Refined Collective Podcast is brought to you by my very own free guide for single women, six tips to activate your dating life. Raise your hand if dating as a woman of faith in today's swipe right, swipe left culture has ever felt like a total struggle fest. Or maybe being single in our culture today feels overwhelming, lonely, discouraging, frustrating. And maybe if you're being really honest, it can even feel hopeless. Listen, single gal to single gal, I totally get it. But did you know that doing the same thing over and over again while expecting different results is known as the insanity cycle? Friend, it is time to walk into a freeing, exciting, and purpose-filled season of singleness. It's time to activate your dating life. I created a free guide for you, and by free, I mean zero dollars, called Six Tips to Activate Your Dating Life to equip you to shake things up in your season of singleness. You can grab it right now at bit.ly slash TRW dating tips. Now you will walk away knowing number one, the biggest mindset shift that will transform how you show up in your dating life. Number two, I'm going to teach you how to get unstuck in your dating life. And three, I will show you the number one thing you can start doing today that will radically change your season of singleness. And finally, the three things I wish someone would have told me 10 years ago about dating. 
You don't have to wander around for years like I did, insecure, uncertain, and discouraged about your dating or lack thereof life. So if any of this resonates with you, pause and go to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash T-R-W dating tips and grab your free guide. Again, that's bit.ly slash T-R-W dating tips. All right, let's get back to it. What are practical ways to own our voice? Like, how do we teach women to use their voices? First, we need to understand how we work as an individual because this is such a large-scale issue. When we talk about consent, when we talk about uh, systemic abuse and institutional harm, whether it's happening at your gym, whether it's happening at your church, whether it's happening at your workplace or wherever you find yourself in um, in community, whatever system you find yourself in, I think you first need to examine how you personally operate. When something happens that is left of center, when someone hurls a comment at you, when someone makes a pass at you, when some your boss says something off color, what's your go-to response? What's your emotional go-to response? Do you fight or do you want to just like put up your dukes right there? Flight? Like, do you just want to escape the moment and just leave and never come back? Or do you freeze? Mm. And for many of us, we developed whatever habit to cope in childhood, whatever. Maybe we had um, a family that you didn't talk about anything, or maybe you had a family where everybody fought all the time and that was cultivated. So however you deal with trauma and I don't, or aggression, and I don't mean capital T, I mean, lowercase T trauma or those microaggressions, however you handle those, I think you first need to, you know, reflectively look at how you operate. Mm. And then when you see how you operate, see what is it causing? Is my fighting leading to ostracization? Ostracization? You know, like, am I being set apart for how I'm acting? Is my freezing leading to silence and then enabling these people to speak or say those things that are already harmful in the beginning? Am I flighty and refusing to address these issues again and again, and they keep finding me? And so being able to understand how we work, I think is really important because we're each going to approach this issue differently. But if we can understand how we personally operate, it's a really, really, really great place to start. I think secondly, uh, look at the source. Is this somebody who does not see me as an equal, whether it's a boyfriend, whether it's a second date, whether it's a husband, whether it's a father-in-law, whether it's a coworker, a boss, whatever. Is this somebody who's speaks to me with respect and dignity. Is there room for me to have boundaries with this person uh, where the ramifications aren't very high, right? Where Hmm. I'm not going to lose my job or I'm not going to have to have such severe consequences that I can speak up. Because I think for many of us, um, we have been so conditioned to let stuff slide that we forget that we do have agency. We do have a voice and we can use it. And I think we're so afraid of what would happen and being seen as disagreeable. I think I'm a three on the Enneagram. I don't know if you've explored the Enneagram on the refined collective, but oh, are you? Okay. So I, I so value being seen as agreeable and diplomatic and, and being likable that I so fear um, putting a line in the sand and saying, Hey, that, that didn't sit well with me or, Hey, I really didn't appreciate that. Because I don't want to be seen as a prude or as insecure or, but in reality, I have to live with myself, right? I have to be able to sleep at night. So I think when there is room to set a boundary, even if it's uncomfortable, the next right thing might be the hard thing. 
but it doesn't negate the power to still move forward and to still go after it. So I think first, if there is a boundary that can be laid saying it, speaking up right then, I'm like, oh, I didn't appreciate that. And it doesn't have to be this big thing of like, hey, you made a wrong move and I don't like it. I think like, hey, that didn't sit well with me or hey, I don't appreciate that. Or if you could not speak to me like that, I would appreciate that. Um, I think that there's room for that. I think there are such societal norms that the majority of us don't even realize that we have set ourselves up to fail. We've set ourselves up to fail in the workplace when we let the littlest things fly. You know, that's just that little inch and it turns into a mile so quickly of what we allow ourselves to endure. But if we can catch it on the front end, again, in dating, in familiar relationships, in the workplace, catching those things on the front end before the consequences are huge, I think is paramount. Absolutely paramount. I remember having a conversation with my sister. She was five years old and I was in college and she came home from school and she was crying and she was like, Sally or whatever her name was, was being mean to me on the playground. And I gave her an eye message and she still was mean to me. And <gasps> she just was so upset. And I was like, an eye message? Like what's an eye message? What? And for years, I thought that she meant that she had like given her like a glare, like, don't do that to me. And then <laughs> a few years ago, I was like, what what did you, what do you mean by iMessage? And she said, oh, like that's what they taught at our elementary school. If, you know, someone, if you are hurt or something has happened to say, I don't like it when you do this to me, it makes me feel like this. <laughs> like, Oh, I love it. We all need like, some iMessages. Oh my gosh. I know. I was like, oh my gosh, that is what you learned in kindergarten. Like, <laughs> I wish I learned that in kindergarten. I just think of that, like practicing that iMessage and why is that so hard for us? And I, I, I'm sure it's probably because we've been taught our whole lives to like, not be too much and, you know, keep your, you know, be agree, like what you said, be agreeable. Mm-hmm. Um, so question I have for you is, you know, you've talked about, you know, when the stakes are lower, but what if you're in that situation, like what you were in at your old job where the stakes are higher. And if you say something, then you might lose your job. Like, what do you do in that situation? And what are the options? Right. I think to piggyback on what you just said about, um, the impact of those, low stake experiences, I think they, first of all, really do um, build up some muscle and even scant amounts of courage to do the right thing when it's hard. And I think another reason um, we avoid speaking up is because we so fear the punishment. We live in a society where Mm -hmm. men get away with near murder when it comes to treating women poorly. Um, you think of mm-hmm. Roger Ailes, you think of Matt Lauer. These men got crazy payouts, even though it was clear that they did what they did, the way they harassed women, the way they propositioned women, and their payout, their single payouts were the equivalent of a settlement that needed to be split between like 25 to 50 women. So even when they are guilty of what they've done, and even women women gather together and together they take the jump and they say, this happened to me, not just solo, but collectively, they still see that the punishment is ever so light for the men and so incredibly severe for them. That could be um, you know, future job loss. 
Because who wants to go apply for another job when you have to say why you left your last one or you're not going to get the uh, review or the recommendation from your previous one or you feel like, I'm so trapped in this, but I also need to feed my kids or I'm so trapped in this, but I also have to pay my bills. Like, what do I do then? And I think, first of all, is we let it go until we can't. That's just the honest truth about it. We let it go until it has altered our life so uh, in- incredibly much that we have two choices. We either, it's going to end poorly anyway. Here's the thing. There's no way through this. There's no way around this. There's no way you got to just live this out. So I think um, you find yourself in a situation, maybe you were raped on a date. Maybe your boss uh, took advantage of your body in a way that you don't feel like you can go to HR. You don't feel like you can go to police. You don't feel like you have enough proof. You don't feel like you'll be believed. And even if you will, what will you have gained? Right? That's often where women find themselves. And I think we must remember that we are part of a sisterhood. And if we are willing to go first, and I think it's it's very counterintuitive to think of others when we ourselves are dealing with something so heavy. But when we can think of if this has happened to me, it is likely happened to other people and it will likely happen again. So if we can see ourselves as players of pushing back against that heaviness and against that injustice, I think we can realize the role that we're playing, not just in our own story, but in the arc of history. And I know that sounds big and grand, but it's true. It's absolutely true. It's when women can see themselves as part of the answer and not the problem that will really gain some ground. So again, I found myself in that situation. How did I escape it? What did I do? I think being willing to report to the highest point um, for so many women and research is clear on this, that HR has not proven to be a safe place which is why we have the Equal Employment Office Commission is an office that under the civil rights movement, we've found women can fall under that. That discrimination and harassment has really had some traction because of the gains made during the civil rights movement. And so we do find that what is happening to women in the workplace, what's happening to, and obviously I'm speaking specifically to the workplace because that was my experience, but finding that that highest point where you can report because um, there's nothing like feeling unsafe. There's nothing like feeling that your livelihood is dependent on somebody else's watch who has only harmed you. So being able to report in a place that you feel safe is so important. And that might not be HR. That might not be the most easily accessible office to you that might be going higher. And don't be afraid to do that. I think we, again, we so fear the ramifications. Is this person going to sue me? Is this person going to come after my family? Is this person going to make my life a living hell? You know what? They might, they might, but you'll be so glad you did. You'll be so glad you did. I think especially in modern history, so many events, especially since 2016 and as the Me Too movement has really come to a head, you see these women who chose to report. And although they faced some hard things, I I have yet to read about one woman who just regretted her choices. And then you read about these women who stayed silent for so long and lived with that heaviness and walked with that heaviness and how it affected the rest of their life. So for our own mental health, I think it's wise to speak up. I think it's wise to do the hard thing, even though 
it is, <laughs> it feels like it might drain us bone dry, but the hard thing really can be the right thing of reporting. And I think that um, we'll be glad we did. We really will. And again, I understand that this is a nuanced, multifaceted thing. Um, but I think that we owe it to ourselves as women. We owe it to ourselves as half the earth to speak up. So you would say that if you can't talk directly to the person, to the perpetrator or whoever it is, and you don't feel safe with your HR, then you would go to EOC. The EEOC. I would. I absolutely would. Yes. Are there any other like companies or websites that you would suggest? For instance, this has been maybe four or five years ago now. I was at a wedding with a bunch of friends and one of the married men there made multiple advances on me. And it was so scary. It was so inappropriate. And I immediately went to the pastor of the church that was there that they were all a part of this one church that I wasn't a part of. And I was like, this guy just followed me to the bathroom and like oh my gosh. trapped me in there. And they, their, the pastor's response was sort of like, yeah, that's just him. He, you know, he did that to me before too. And he's just, you know, he's inappropriate with the women. And I was like, what the actual heck? <laughs> like, yeah. So this is common behavior. And I remember leaving first, I felt so, then I was like, okay, so this church doesn't feel safe because they're allowing yeah. this person in here knowing that he is a predator to other women. But also I remember this happened before the Me Too movement and I didn't know, should I have reported him to the police? Should I have gotten a restraining order? Because after that, it was like, I was avoiding social gatherings or oh, parties yeah. or galas that I thought this person might be at. And I realized, oh my gosh, like I am suffering and this other person isn't. And once the Me Too movement came out, it was like a year or two later, it almost felt like it was too late. Mm. And so what would, I mean, what would you say to a person like me or someone else? Like, is there, what are places that we can research what our rights are? Well, first of all, I just want to commend you that you first went to the pastor. And then I w I'm so discouraged that that was the response you got was excuse. It was a pure excuse. It was complete enabling that behavior. Well, the guy was also a multimillionaire. <laughs> right? Again, going back to those power dynamics, right? The, and research yeah. also shows that the more access you have to power, the less empathy you have. The less you are able to see the situation from someone else's point of view, which is so sad. So mm -hmm. sad, right? Mm -hmm. That the more power somebody has, the less empathetic they become. But I think... Um, you did the first right thing of going to somebody in leadership in that moment. And did you say that this person was married? Yes. Did anything ever come with his wife? Did anything ever happen there? She knew about his behavior, that he was just like this. And so the more, I mean, I went on a campaign. I was like interviewing other women. I was like gathering evidence. Oh, wow. And then oh, I like, I when I, I talked to the leadership team of this church again, and I was like, listen, I have like 15 women 
that I've said at different times that this person has done this. And I was like, you guys are on the wrong side of history. If you guys don't take a stand about this, what they had shared was, oh, you know, the wife, she exhibits that she's like in an abusive relationship. And I just felt like this is the problem. We know these things are happening, but we're not doing anything. And then I'm trying to do something, but I don't know what my rights are. I don't know what I can do. I think especially if he followed you to the bathroom, that is harassment. I think even just filing a police mm-hmm. report to have it on record, or if he is a multimillionaire or if he, mm-hmm. regardless, I think approaching his employer, that's something in the moment I think that would have been something mm-hmm. that would have crossed my mind. I'm sure it crossed your mind. Um, going to somebody that would hold him accountable. Even every business owner, they likely have a board. They likely have someone else who is a part of their empire. Um, even, you know, you think of Harvey Weinstein and ultimately in the very end, his brother had covered Bob Weinstein, his, his partner in his business for so long, um, both in Miramax and the Weinstein brothers eventually turned on him and said, you've done this. And I, even now I'm finally going to hold you accountable and admit that this has happened. So I think, um, sadly, if it's happened to you, you know, in that moment, that, and especially if you found 15 other women and you know, it was going to continue. I think. I think reporting to police, especially if there is clear harassment, I think something else I want to encourage women who are listening is document, 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 Mm -hmm. write it down, pull a note out on your phone, take a picture if you can, if it's, if you're obviously freezing up, which is something that I would do, that would be a response. But if you can work through that and realize in that moment, okay, I realize what's happening is wrong. I need to be fully present in this moment because as I am, I can prevent this from happening again to myself. And I can also prevent it hopefully from happening to other people. That's good. A girl, even snapping a pic, even snapping a pic. So I want to shift gears a little bit. We don't, I know we don't have a ton of time, but I'm going to open a can of worms. Uh Here we go. (laughs) I'm going to share through my personal experience. So I think something that has come up in the Me Too movement that made me really curious was the idea of consent in the sense of putting all of the onus on the man. So here's what I mean by that. Years ago, I was dating this guy and he came over one night. I had begged and begged him to come over. Um, It was late and... We were like kissing, kind of fooling around in in bed. And then it went further than I wanted it to go. And I, in that moment, froze and shut down. And in my head, I was like, there's no way he thinks that I'm enjoying X, Y, Z. Right. And, but I didn't say anything in the moment. And then it was like, we just never talked about it again. And we broke up for a lot of reasons. But after that relationship ended, I was in therapy and I shared with my therapist this experience. And she was like, you are a victim of sexual assault. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a victim of sexual assault. And she was like, that person took advantage of you. He didn't read your your verbal, your nonverbal cues. And like he was power dynamic, all this stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've Mm -hmm. totally been taking advantage of, like I'm a a victim of this and felt that way for years about this specific person. And then the Me Too movement happened. And then specifically it was when the Aziz Ansari story came out um, about the girl that he had been on a date with and they went home and um, 
everything about how the story unfolded, I was just like, man, that sounds like such a familiar sexual encounter. You know, you like, you meet someone, you have a couple drinks, you go home, you're messing around. And I think a lot of times women say, I'm guilty of this. Like, oh no, like, I don't want to go that far. I don't want to go that far, but I do want to go that far. Mm -hmm. So like my no doesn't necessarily mean a no. Mm-hmm. And my yes. So then it's like, does my yes really mean a yes? And I remember hearing that story and being like, holy cow, I don't know that I was sexually assaulted all those years ago. And I, the more I processed it, I'm not saying that like it was my fault by any means, but I look back at that and I'm thinking, I didn't use my voice at all. Obviously, like, I felt a trauma. I My experience was to freeze. But also, is it a guy's job to be a mind reader? 2020 is in full swing, and I don't know about you, but I am here for it. I'm also here, human to human, to ask you for support. Help me, friend, to help you. The Refined Collective Podcast is one of my most favorite projects that I have ever worked on in my career but it is definitely a labor of love. We have quite a bit of hard cost each month from software and subscription services to my team who edit and produce the episodes to licensing music and running logistics for all things Refined Collective. Now, because of that, I want to invite you, yes, you, to join our Patreon community. Patreon is this incredible platform that helps listeners financially support their favorite podcasts. You can support the Refined Collective podcast for as little as $5 a month. And we made a bunch of fun different tiers that are jam-packed with free goodies and VIP access to our newest content. And you will be notified before anyone else about our upcoming live events. I'll also be going to you first to find out what questions you want answered and what topics you want covered moving forward. So in the midst of a wild year, I want to ask you, friend, if you'd be willing to link arms with my team and me and sharing some of the load and helping make the Refined Collective podcast the best it can possibly be. So if you want to learn more or sign up today, head on over to patreon.com slash the Refined Collective. Again, that's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash the Refined Collective. Thank you so, so much for being a part of this community. How do we check in with consent, even if we're dating someone? Because it would have been very different if I would have like been like, no, 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 no. Or like raising my hands or pushing him off me. I mean, I wasn't doing any of that. And when I looked back on the experience, I was like, in my mind, I was saying no, but nothing about my body or my interactions with him was telling him that. And then I wonder like how many women have this experience where then they think they've been taken advantage of. And maybe they have, maybe they haven't, but they were really expecting this guy to be a mind reader. So my question is like, A, like are nonverbal cues enough? And what if like, I think a lot of women have had that experience where they're like, no, let's just kiss. Like, I just, I don't want to take my shirt off, but then like, I'm the one taking my shirt off, you know? Yeah. I think that it goes beyond consent. Now we're in the realm of concern and care. I think that consent is this, we have agreed for X, but then the conversation has to evolve, right? You can't just at the beginning saying, okay, we're dating now. 
you have to have specifics of what that means and what's allowed and what's appropriate and what you feel comfortable doing, right? So I think it goes beyond consent and you're now in this realm of concern and care where it's like, I care for you, therefore I'm concerned of what's appropriate and what's okay and an ongoing dialogue. And I think that, like you said, I can, I think of myself and friends who found myself, you know, or friends who've been in your same situation. You're like, wait a second, how much of that did I participate in? But I didn't like it, but I didn't say anything. So how culpable am I, but how culpable is he? And I think that we can rehash of how we wish it would have played out. But then moving forward, I think we have to remember that this is an evolving conversation. I've been married 10 years. I'll tell you what, it's still an evolving conversation in the bedroom of like, what's okay, what's enjoyable, what's pleasurable. I have, we have to be able to communicate. And it is so, uh, I think again, as women, we are just so taught to sit down and shut up and be beautiful and be quiet, right? And so then to have that power in such a vulnerable setting is so uncomfortable for us, but at the same time, so necessary. So I think being able to say, this isn't okay, or this is okay. And knowing even if the even if the blood's pumping <laughs> to still employ our mental faculties and our frontal cortex to be like, okay, what is okay? What is not okay? And still be right brain engaged in the conversation. Yes. I mean, I just, I'm laughing because I'm thinking about how this dynamic even it played out on a recent, I was on an online date with a guy and he's like, Oh, do you want to do this or this? And I, in my head, I was like, well, I don't want to do either of those things, but I was like, and it's all subtle. Cause like it happens within seconds. Right. And I'm like, Oh, but like, I don't want him to right. think I'm high maintenance or I don't, you know, I just want to be agreeable. I want to be the cool girl. So right. then I say, Oh, let's just do this when really I'm like, I don't want to do that. Even, even though it's like, do you want to go to this restaurant or this restaurant? And it was a moment where I paused and, and then I was like, you know what? I actually don't want that. This is what I really want. Um, and then I said out loud, like, wow, it's so weird dude that I hardly even know. <laughs> I was like, because I was like, I'm so confident and I can tell a girl all day long what I don't or don't want, but you, uh, you, or I'm just on a very casual first time date with a person I hardly know. And you ask me if I want X to eat and I don't want to tell you cause I don't want to be too much. And, um, it opened up a really interesting conversation, but it just, it was so striking to me because I feel like I'm a strong woman who speaks her truth. And then it's still a muscle that I am strengthening with men in my life. And it feels humbling sometimes. And at the same time, it's his job to read the cue. Let's say you don't answer for a while. So clearly she doesn't want to do either. Like, I think we need to not (laughs) expect the bare minimum from men as well, right? Like, I think you are a strong woman and you are, you are agreeable and you know how to have a conversation with, uh, without using extremes, right? So it's not, sometimes we find ourselves in those situations where it's like, oh, no thanks, or I'm not interested in that. Or I think of the Nzis and Zari case. And if a listener, if you're curious, you should go Google it. It's very interesting (laughs) study in social sciences because this woman felt like she was saying no in a very kind way. And he wasn't reading those cues. But at the same time, it's, it's his job to, we won't always say yes or no, right? Sometimes it'll be like, oh, in, in the case of physicality, oh, I'm too tired. Oh, 
I got to go to work early in the morning or, oh, I don't like tacos, right? Like, so I think that we have to have room to still be a strong woman and have kind, gracious answers and expect men to grow up and be able to read a situation. I love that you said that because that's what seems true to me. Like, I think in all of this, it's very easy to demonize men and I am very for men. I also know that we live in a society where there's been so much abuse of power and like we are in a patriarchal society and there's so Mm -hmm. much dysfunction. And so I know that the pendulum needs to swing the other way, but ultimately I'm like, what does it look like for us both to take responsibility for me as a woman to know my worth and my value and I am worth and I have the permission to share what I do or do not want. Um, it's, yeah, I just, I've, I've wondered that specifically with like consent and physical relationships. And I love how you said like it's consent, but it's also plus concern and plus care, which makes me also like, when I hear that, I'm like, (laughs) I hope this doesn't offend anyone, but I'm like, that's also probably why it's not the best idea to have casual sex or a one night stand or a casual sexual encounter, like with someone you don't know. Because then it's like, you really don't know what their nonverbal cues are. (laughs) And there isn't that built-in rapport of like, I care for you. I care for who you are. I care for your body, mind, and soul. That's probably not happening with somebody you just met. So true. Kind of wrapping up. Do you have like any final thoughts about um, how, like, how can we practice using our voices in less threatening ways or just anything you want to say about consent? Yes. I think first, um, if you have more questions on the Me Too movement and consent and what it looks like to stand up for yourself, I think definitely visit the metoomovement.org website. It is so comprehensive. So I highly recommend that. Lots to learn there. And I think also, uh, first, again, that that reflective moment of understanding how you communicate. Because as Kat said so perfectly, we can't expect people to be a mind reader. If they don't know that they've heard us, we have to first give them the opportunity to make it right. Let's first give somebody the benefit of the doubt. And I think that um, after we've done that, after we've given someone the benefit of the doubt is when we practice like, hey, that did not sit well with me. And if you are conflict averse like myself, I get it. I get that it's going to be the hardest thing. But as we learn to adult, we'll find that having those boundaries and having those hard conversations, it builds our sense of self. And it also makes it clear to anyone around us who we are and what we let stand. So again, I think it's really digging deep and having some hard conversations, but doing so with kindness and doing so with just a generous heart, a generous spirit and giving somebody the benefit of the doubt and practicing that muscle in the easy things. So good. And this, okay, this might sound like a really crazy example, but I was just watching the, have you seen the Goop documentary or docu-series on Netflix? Okay. So I didn't watch the one on shrooms, but I did watch the one on your (laughs) chronological versus biological age. And I found it extremely fascinating. So interesting. <laughs> Although I was like, man, that five day fast that Gwyneth Paltrow had to do, yeah, the space food she was eating, I was like, yeah, I would have lasted like two seconds. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> um, so there's an, I think it's the episode after that one. We'll link it in the show notes, but it's all about 
female pleasure and the female orgasm. I mean, this episode is definitely not something you're going to want to watch with like your small children. (laughs) There's a lot of nakedness, but it's all about like, how do we, as women, we've received these messages that like our pleasure isn't as important as men's pleasure. And like, we have all this shame around our body. And so one of the things that they did was they took some of, they took a group of women to this workshop in LA for a day to practice like connecting with their voice and what do they want sexually? What do they want in the bedroom? What are their expectations? And one of the things that they did to help the women practice verbalizing, I like this, I don't like that, is they paired up in twos and each gave each other a hand massage. Completely non-sexual, but the whole thing was like the person giving the massage had to be like, hey, can I give you a hand massage? And the person could say yes or no. And then, well, what kind of hand massage do you like? And then throughout the hand massage, the person getting the massage was like the invitation for that girl was to say, Hey, I really liked it when you did that, but I didn't like it when you did that. And ultimately just giving space for her to develop the muscle of like being able to own and pinpoint and articulate. I like this. I don't like that. And then the person giving the massage to strengthen the muscle of checking in with consent. You still like this? Are you ready for a change? Like, are you ready to be done? And I thought that was such a profound moment. Like totally. I was like, you know, I know that that experience would be a lot for a lot of people. And there's that episode is, I mean, it's super woo woo, but I was like, (laughs) I feel like that's something that I want to practice. Like with some of my friends is just like, Hey, does this feel good? Can I give you a massage? Like, what do you think? Um, just as far as like a practical way to practice, like owning, I like this. I don't like that because, I think especially as women, we are not taught that. Whereas guys are like, I don't like that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I think also it requires such a level of vulnerability that most of us don't practice on a regular basis. Unless Mm. we have some healthy friendships where we have been repeatedly vulnerable and not felt harmed or hindered or uh, reduced to tears even, I think when we can find ourselves understanding that vulnerability is a strength, not a weakness, I think is then when we can engage in those conversations of consent and caring concern, like you just described, which is such a great example, by the way. Um, when you realize that not only do I need to communicate what I like and don't like, it is also the responsibility of the other to continually ask and check in. And we are in that hot seat sometimes too, right? We're in the hot seat of like, Hey, is this good? Is this okay? Is this working? And vice versa. So I think that we haven't had a collective conversation like we until these last couple of years, but realizing that if we do, if we are willing to be vulnerable and have those conversations that can be as something as small as starting with that feels good on my pinky to this is what I'm okay with you doing to my body, I think that we will find wholeness. I feel like we will see so much greater connection and we really will be the women that we were destined to be. Yes. Amen. Tiffany Bloom. Girlfriend, I cannot wait to read your book on this. I know this is just probably one leg of what you are going to be teaching about. Can you let us know where we can follow along with what you're up to, events, speaking stuff, podcast, Instagrams, all the things? All the things. Yeah. TiffanyBloom.com and on socials, I'm at Tiffany Bloom. 
Well, thank you so much for your time and insight. I feel like I just drilled you for an hour. <laughs> so thank you for taking it in stride. Thanks for having me, Kat. All right, we'll have a good one. Will do. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. If you are new here, maybe you've listened for a long time and there's topics, questions, comments, concerns that you have about what we're up to, follow us on Instagram, The Refined Woman. Send me a DM and I will get back to you and let me know what you want to hear about. Let me know what you want to talk about. And I would love to make that happen for you. Have such a fabulous day. (laughs) Bye.